Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. You know, you remember ever say that to somebody? You have the boss of me. I remember that being in like preschool saying that. But, you know, interestingly enough, when it turns out that I'm not even the boss of me. I'm not even the boss of me. And, and, and that's a, a tough pill to swallow and hold on to. But, you know, when it comes to faith, you and I, we don't, we don't set the standard for ourselves. We don't, we don't get to determine whether we're all right you know, whether we're doing okay. We don't get to because we have this standard setter, the standard bearer, Jesus, right? And, and interestingly enough, he's, he's got a pretty high standard and, and, we, and we don't get to negotiate with that standard because he knows what's best for us, right? Now, it, 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 thankfully, his yoke is light, right? His yoke, his teaching is light and he has full of, he's full of compassion and mercy. He's full of, of awareness of, of our nature and our need for him. And, and, he, and he runs us into that need constantly to remind us of who he is. So we have this Jesus standard, this person Jesus. And then we have scripture which lays out all of these exemplary, you know, sort of examples of, of faith and, and what it looks like for us, right? And so today as we go through um, the passages that we're going to kind of peruse today and look at, um, I, I want us to be asking ourselves this question of do, do I measure up? Do I measure up? And if not, what's holding me back? So I'm going to read Acts 12, 5 through 6. This is kind of, a, kind of my, like, just to set the, set the tone kind of verses. This, this struck me. It's a, chapter 12 in Acts is, like, really a robust chapter. It's got a lot, of, a lot of depth in it for the church. It's got a lot of depth for us individually. It's got a lot about God, obviously, as the, the center of it all, always. But I, I want to focus on Peter here. And, and, and I want us to relate to Peter as, as, we, as we read this and as we go through the rest of the, the, uh, the passages that we're going to look at today. So Acts chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So let me say that again. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries to a guard at the entrance. It's not that, that not just that Peter lived, his, lived out his faith so loudly that he got to prison, right, but that his faith afforded him such an such a awesome comfort amongst a horrible situation. Now, there's a lot that we can unpack there, but let's think about two things. First, Peter wasn't in prison by accident. His behavior, his faith got him there, right? He walked around saying things like, you, you crucified the son of the living God. You crucified Jesus. Jesus Christ rose and died and, or died and rose and, 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 you know, from the dead. We're witnesses to this, right? The Bible says that when Peter preached, he cut people to the heart, right? So essentially he made them feel bad, right? We don't like doing that, right? But what in our Christian words, we say we convicted them. They were convicted, right? But he didn't just leave them with this sort of conviction of like, you should feel bad. And he did. You should feel bad. We should all really look at how we feel and look at the anxieties and look at the stresses and look at the guilt and the nature of ourselves. And we should feel bad. But he gives us 
The answer, he gives us Jesus. The answer to everybody's problem was repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, right? So, so that's the answer to all the problems that, that we face, and that was the answer the Bible gives, right? So I don't know about you, but I do find myself spending a lot of time trying to make people feel better. I try to talk people and give advice and, and everything and make it about, you know, you're not that bad. It's okay, you know. Um, but... I, I don't. I don't say to people, you know what? Yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's horrible. You should, you know, maybe here's this Jesus thing. I, I don't. I don't. I tend to shy away from that a little bit, and I, I've been really convicted about that as I begin to be aware of how many times I could say Jesus' name to somebody and I don't. Secondly, though, Peter was quite comfortable in that place. He was comfortable enough to sleep. Th- that blew me away. Now, the truth that we can glean here is that bold faith, right, grounded in a relationship with Jesus, produces a peace of mind that transcends any circumstance of our lives, and we simply can't have one without the other. So Peter, who's living out his faith, is not surprised by the circumstance. He sees his time has come. He already knew what the consequences were. Jesus taught him this. So it wasn't like, oh, this might happen. It was like, this is certain. This is exactly what the Christian faith does in the world, if we're being honest, right? Most of us aren't faithfully running towards persecution. But Peter's showing us exactly what it means to follow Jesus. We have to reconcile that. We have to reconcile our experience with the biblical truth that persecution because of your faith is a deter- is determines that you're right where you're supposed to be. It tells you that you're right where you're supposed to be if you're experiencing that. You're walking in the right direction. Acts 4 and 5 talks about the early church and persecution. They actually celebrated the persecution and they prayed for boldness, not deliverance. They, they didn't pray for ways around it. They prayed for more boldness to keep going. So here he is faith in de- facing death, not feeling bad for himself, not second-guessing the last 15 years of his life, right? Because this is about 42 or so A.D. or eight, yeah, yeah, A.D. And he's sleeping. Are you kidding me? Like I can't even sleep on my firm mattress. I woke up like six times last night. I mean, I'm sweating. I've got this firm mattress. My body was like half asleep last night. It was a, a, a wonderful reminder of, of you know. So I want, I want faith like that. So how do we get there? Because God didn't just poof him in that moment of need. He didn't just poof, poof, here, here's the power you need. Like, live however you want. A lot of us live one way. And then when crisis hits and stress hits, we, we turn to God and we wonder why we don't get this instant power. We wonder why we're just not, like, you know, feeling this, this, this amazing, um, you know, Holy Spirit. And so um, to answer these questions, I'm going to walk through the book of Mark now. I didn't know this, but the book of Mark is, is known by most scholars as sort of a memoir of Peter. And, and so I thought, well, I'm looking at Peter, so let's look at Mark. And it was written, not written by Peter, but it was probably dictated by him. And it starts at Peter's, at, at Jesus' ministry. It doesn't go into his whole birth and everything else. It starts right at the beginning of his ministry, right to his resurrection, right? And, it, and it's just like boom, 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 boom. It's just story after story after story. Um, and, it's, and so it, it kind of, so as things can stand out against a story that's that, that, that's that rigid. So Mark 1, 16 through 18, let's go to the beginning of Peter's sort of walk and see, where, see if we can, where we find ourselves here. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, this is Mark 1, 16 through 18, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and follow him. Come now, follow after me. Now, in, in rabbinical culture, as some of you may have heard this before, but the, the, the Jewish, Jewish children went, to this, like, went through this rigorous school of, of like basically memorizing the Torah, right, from age like 6 to about 14. 
And the best of the best were, were then sought after, or they went and sought after a rabbi to follow. And they had to audition, basically. And that rabbi would pick you based off of his, his sort of, you know, he'd interview you and see whether you were sort of up to his standard and whether he could make you like him. So it wasn't some small thing when Jesus came to these people, because they were fishermen, right? And what does that tell you about them? They weren't the best of the best. They didn't get into the best school, right? Because when you didn't get in to the rabbi school, basically, you were just told, go, go work, go, 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 go follow the family business. So the fact that he's coming to them was, was overwhelming. They, and he wasn't there trying to sell them. So that they also have to understand there's an imperative in this come now, follow after me. It's not come now, follow me and hang out for the day. Let's be chums. Let's get to know each other and be friends. It was come now, imperatively. It's the most urgent thing you can do. Drop what you're doing. This is very important, right? And follow after me. Become like me. Transform your life. So that's what's in there. When you read that, don't mistake the depth of that. Excuse me. Don't mistake the depth of that because it is follow after me, become like me, do whatever it takes to do that. So I believe the challenge for us today is to determine whether we are following after Jesus or, or has the definition of follower morphed into something a little more watered down because we use words like Christian, I'm a believer, right? And I wonder if we don't kind of feel a little bit of comfort in that. You know, I wonder if we don't award ourselves a little bit of comfort in being able to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I pray. But I wonder how many of us have ever thought about this call to be the call to be a disciple to be a disciple of Jesus. And how often in your own minds do you even refer to yourself as a disciple or, or your lifestyle as discipleship? And then what does that mean for us in this place and time? What does it mean for this church, right, to be, to be, to be raising up disciples, people that are that committed? Now, don't dismiss this example of Peter and the other disciples as something for a different place and time in history, right? We need to let the Holy Spirit challenge us on that in our own lives, in our own place right now. It was no small thing for them to leave their boats, their livelihood, obviously. Their security was tied to their, to their, to their jobs, their families. But they were, compared to, they were compelled to believe there was more. There was more to life. And I think the problem is that we, I find myself, I shouldn't say, I should say we, because I think, I think this is true for all of us. We struggle to let go of what we think life is about to kind of find out what does Jesus have for us, Right? And one of the reasons we need, to, we need to let go and find out is because Jesus offers something that none of us can produce on our own, that none of us can go find on our own, and that's purpose and meaning. When he said, I will make you fishers of men, I will send you out to fish for people, he was offering them purpose and meaning in their lives. He was offering them something way bigger than whatever they were doing or trying to accomplish and reproduce for themselves. So do we know that Jesus is the purpose and meaning in life, that he's foundational to adding value to anything you're doing? But we have to know how desperately we lack that purpose on our own. And I can only speak for myself, but I, I lose touch with that in, the day, in, my, in my grind day to day. And in preparing all this, I, I was really brought to mind of all the areas that I kind of just do and engage with without thinking about where Jesus is in that moment. So, you know, I, I want to I kind of highlight this a little bit. And this is, you know, my, my silly analogy, but this is my wallet. It's a slim clip. As seen on TV, I've had this thing for like 20 years. You can drive your car over it, right? Fits in the pocket nicely. But this wallet represents my livelihood. It's got my health insurance. My health's in there. I got my credit cards in there. 
right? I got money in there. I got everything I need. If my identity is in here, my identification, right? This represents something. And I hold on to this. And, and figuratively speaking, I hold on to this in one hand and I live life with the other. And I'm like, yeah, let me go over here and do this. And, and, and I don't think Jesus is saying, hey, you know, throw it away, right? There it is. There's my wallet. That's still my wallet, but I'm, but I'm free. I can go grab it. God might call me and say, you know what, leave it there. Follow me. Go get a cup of coffee. Relax. Um, but my wallet's over there. Do I go get it or do I follow you? Do I trust to let go of this thing that's still mine? And somebody could, Liam could go grab it and run. He's a hoodlum, so he probably will. He's thinking about it. I may have tempted some people in here. I'm, but, you know, I can't be preoccupied by that because Jesus said, stand up here right now and make a fool of yourself. And I said, okay. So here I am, and there's my livelihood over there. I have to trust him to that. There's nothing you and I are holding on to that's more important than Jesus and his invitation to discipleship. So I want to challenge us with this word disciple. I want us to realize that if we're going to move mountains, if we're going to sleep in prison like Peter did, then we're going to have to make the decision to be disciples and take on all that means. We're going to have to examine our current level of discipleship in Jesus and see how we measure up. Do we see ourselves as, deci as decisive as Peter and Andrew? Or are we hanging back with a little bit of intellectual agreement with Jesus? Now, you might ask, well, what makes a person decisive? I've kind of highlighted that. It's, it's the desperation. It's the knowing that I need this. Now, if we think we're all right, if we see ourselves as better than most, we can provide for ourselves relatively well, uh, we might not be aware of the grace of the call. This is a grace in action. This is the living God coming into your life. You, 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 could, you couldn't make this up. He had to come to us and ask us. He had to invite us. So if we recognize that need and we see the grace of that call, then we have to focus our posture and our hearts towards two things that I think Peter, that we can relate with Peter and Andrew in this. We have to do two things. And the, they, one they do is they physically change their lifestyle to accommodate Jesus and they prioritize him before everything else. So let me say that a little bit differently. There's a measurable and observable way, change in the way that they use their time. And they put their relationship with Jesus above everything else. It's measurable and observable what they do. It's not happening in their head. It's not happening in their, in their prayer closet. It's happening in their life. So some of you know that I, I used to run a little bit, right? And, and, and before I, I want to set this up because I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, but I did an ultra marathon, right? An ultra marathon is anything over a marathon. Now, anybody with two legs and relative health can do this if you want to. I don't advise you to do it. Spend your time doing something better more productive, but I learned a lot from that process, right? And so when you train for one of these races, and Toby knows this because of his bodybuilding, but when you train for something like this, your, your schedule is impeccably tied to the goal. The diet, sleep, and the workout. You can't miss workouts. You can't make up for it. And then when that day comes and that race comes, you show up. I showed up in the best shape I've ever been in. I, I felt better than I ever was. I was lighter than I ever was. Feeling really good, right? And you get to this race, and this race course is, they call it the Ice Age Trail. It's in Wisconsin. It's a beautiful, like, park up there you can go to. But this trail goes 12 and a half miles up a hill and then back down. So the first loop is 12 and a half miles, and I'm cruising. I mean, I'm feeling really good. The back, the back loop, this is about a 32 and a half or so mile race, right? That's what 50K is. The back nine and a half miles, let's say, you do this loop twice. And you're running nine and a half miles into the woods. So picture that. You don't know how far you are from like, from like society. And you're in the woods kind of by yourself. Everybody's spread out. You're by yourself. You're losing touch. And I'm out there running and I'm cruising. I hit that back nine. And I mean, I just remember just being like, this, this is going to be easy. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this course. 
And it's just doing this, the whole entire thing. And it's not just like, it's not just like a rolling little, like, 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 light little hills. It's like, it's like hills that are like, like up there to the, to those little platform things. It's ridiculous. And then you get down and you run down the hill and running down the hill takes up more energy than going up the hill. And you're going and now you're 12, 18, 25 miles into this race and these hills get bigger. But they don't get bigger, really. You, they feel bigger. They feel overwhelming. You run into the end of yourself in that moment. And I'm thinking about quitting. I'm thinking, like, I've already gone 25, 26 miles. Who's going to do that? People are still going to say, wow, that's awesome. Good job. You know? Well, I mean, there, there's no shame in quitting a race like that. That's why you do those races, because, you know, you can, you can quit and, not, and still feel good about yourself. But, <laughs> but I think this is what the road of faith is like. I think many of us start this journey with an interest, a personal knowledge that we need this, a certain energy. But then we get out there and we see these hills and we compromise. We stop. We stop following Jesus and we adjust our sense of what's all right and what's good in order to feel better in a moment or for a season. We waste, we waste months and years of our lives compromising. But let me say something crazy because in this ultra marathon of discipleship that we're on, the issue isn't that hill in front of us. It never is. The hill is never the issue with Jesus, right? The issue that we're having is a personal problem with Jesus. Let me offer you that. I think, I think that I, I, I have a personal problem with Jesus. Well, do I? Well, Everybody had a personal problem with Jesus. And when you read the book of Mark and you read through all these reactions that people are having, you find out that the people that were following him had a problem with Jesus. The, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. We know that. And the disciples had problems with Jesus. And, and they had to work through it, or they didn't. But isn't that what a relationship is? Right? Isn't it working through these things? It doesn't all go smoothly. So what's the problem with Jesus? What's the problem? Turns out that he's pretty astonishingly, astonishingly amazing. Now, why is that a problem? Why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be easy to follow an amazing person? Well, let's see. So when we open up the book of Mark, and if you read the book of Mark straight through, which I would encourage anybody to do just because it's, it's not that long of a book, you're going to see all these reactions to Jesus. And every single chapter almost is going to say, and they were amazed, and the people were amazed, and the disciples were amazed. And this English word amazed pops out. And you get this picture because when I think of the word amazed, I'm like, oh, I want to see amazing things. Like, I think that's cool, right? I'm not, I'm not discouraged by amazing things. But when you read this book, there's about like four Greek words at least behind that word amazed. And when, they put it, when they're put in context, you start seeing the amazed as being more like astonished. Like, whoa, did he just say that? Like there's, there's some discomfort there. You get the picture that he's like this David Blaine. You know who David Blaine is, right? Like he's going on there. He's levitating on New York City streets in the middle of the day. And you're like, how is he doing this? And people like me are going, no, he's possessed. That, 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 that's the devil, right? And some people are like, that's awesome. I mean, <clears throat> we're having these mixed reactions to him. But the word amazed, again, is backed up by, by different words that are trying to express to us this, this sort of longer latitude of, of, of emotions, right? Did he just say that? It's not going to be safe to associate with this guy. L let me kind of just keep my distance, right? So Jesus is in, out there challenging their very understanding of reality and how things should be. He's forcing them into discomfort and he's challenging their security and their way of thinking. This is exactly what he's doing to us. Now, I don't know about you, but when I get challenged, I, I, don't, I don't like it. When I'm forced to make a big change or make a big decision, I, and I really feel like I'm confronted with it, it's, it's confusing. It's, it's, it's perplexing. Um, I'm astonished. Can he really mean give up everything? Like, what does that even mean? Give up everything? My career choice? My family? Certain friends? Certain lifestyle choices? Uh, you know, can't mean that, can he? Sorry, you're... 
lost my layup. Um, let's see. So like I said, everybody, the crowds, the people, the Pharisees, disciples, they're all astonished and amazed. But if we read closely, there are many who are following Jesus. There are a lot more people following Jesus, but there are only a few that were called disciples. A handful were disciples, maybe 70. You know, they don't know for sure how many were really following at this point in time. But the difference between the disciples and everybody else is, the, is that when the disciples felt that astonishingly amazing discomfort and, 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 and awe, they pressed in relationally. We have to spend time with Jesus like a disciple through prayer, Bible reading, service, church participation. We, we've all heard it. We all know we need to do more of it. They stick with him. They associate. They maintain this posture of organizing their lives around Jesus, and they get this intimate VIP experience, and they develop in their awareness of the truth. Jesus constantly pulls his disciples aside. If you'll notice that, he constantly pulls them aside for this sort of like intimate VIP experience. So if we're going to make sense to what he's saying, if we're going to make sense to, how, to what this really means to our lives and not just kind of come to an agreement with it, then we've got to get closer. So let me say it like this. You guys may have heard this story, um, but there's this story about a, a boy and his dad who are watching airplanes fly overhead. And the dad said, son, how big are the airplanes? And the, and the kid's like, they're small because they're far, they're far away. And the dad says, okay. Takes him to the airport. And the kid says, and he says, how big are the, how big are the, uh, the airplanes? And the kid's like, holy cow. Because they're huge, right? They're huge in person. And that's what it's like for us to trust God, to get, to get closer to God, to see how big he really is, produces that confidence in us. The right kind of amazement. So because they prioritize their lives around Jesus and they're beginning to see how big he really is, a certain confidence grows and a turning point happens in Mark chapter 8. And in Mark chapter 8, Verses 27 to 30, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you? What about you, disciples? Who do you say I am with all this inside information, with all this special intimacy? Who do you say I am? And Peter turned to him and said, you're the Messiah, Right? And so the equation of closeness and time spent affords them special intimacy. Knowing Jesus is the most important pursuit we can have. We can ask for miracles. Everybody was hanging on for that. Everybody was looking for that and looking for the signs. But the disciples were getting to know him intimately. They were convinced of who he was. And had they not had that assurance, they could never have been ready for what was next. Because if you go down a few verses then, you're going to see that from that point on, he begins to immediately teach about what it means to be the Messiah, that he's going to have to suffer and die and rise again. And, and, and that, that's counterintuitive to the Messiah they were expecting. We know that. We've heard that. This is amazing. This is amazing, right? Peter, Peter was so amazed that he told Jesus, you know, I think you're full of it. There's no way. And Peter, and Peter was quickly put into his place. And, he, and they're about to level up. And they're about to level up because now they're going to see how this is going to relate to them. And in Mark 8.34, we go down a couple more verses, he's, he pulls everybody there. Everybody who's there, the, the close disciples and everybody else. And he makes this invitation. And he basically says, if you're with me or you're not. But here's the direction I'm going. And if you're going to go and count yourself as one of mine as a disciple, you're going to have to follow me and my example even unto death. Think about this. This is the most counterintuitive way of thinking to humans ever, ever stated, ever in the world. And they're, they're hearing this and they're getting blown away. And the only thing they have to actually take this guy at his word is who they know he, him to be. They trust him. 
So is that amazing, scary? Yes, it's earth-shattering, definitely amazing. This is not a moment in history that's gone, though, because we are in that crowd right now. So the question that we have to face right now is, do you, do you turn around and walk home and go, yeah, that's amazing. This is amazing, but scary. I don't, I don't know if this death thing doesn't make much sense in the modern world, in our, in, 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 our, in our lives. Or do we go, that's amazing, but I'm afraid. I'm uncomfortable with this thing. So let me, get, let me lean in. Let me get some personal time with him and figure this thing out. Let me accept this thing called sin in me. Let me acknowledge that. Let me recognize that the world is so messed up that I can't see another way but to follow Jesus. He repeats this lesson again in chapter 9 and chapter 10. And why did he have to repeat this lesson? Because we need that that lesson repeated in our lives, right? But if you're one who's willing to press in, then you're going to see that this truth is confirmed over and over again in your life. You're not going to avoid this truth. You and I are not going to avoid repeatedly coming into contact with our need to keep following and the hills get bigger. At least they feel that way. And Peter and the disciples realized this and they kept walking. And in chapter 10, we pick up this journey. But now we, the disciples, along with Peter, are on our way to Jerusalem. This whole thing has been, has been in, in the works the whole time. The plot to kill him was already there. But now we're actually walking to Jerusalem to see the example of how we're going to be living going forward. And so chapter 10, 32, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside. He told them what was going to happen. So picture this. Jesus is leading you on a mission. He's, he's leading. He's walking ahead of them. Everyone's behind him astonished. Like, look at this guy. He's going to go die? Like, he's telling us all this stuff. This is what we're doing? They're afraid. How is this going to impact my life? How is this going to affect me? That's scary. But they're moving through. They're still following him. They're uncomfortable, but they're continuing to move forward. Now, from a doctrinal perspective, we, we agree that we need to follow Jesus. Everybody agrees following Jesus. But however, I think for some of us, including myself, myself I think we're stuck in chapter 9. I, don't, I think we're stuck in that, in, in that repeated lesson of confronting what Jesus is asking us to do. Moving through that amazing discomfort. This relationship and this continual leaning into Jesus is why Peter was sleeping in prison. But by following Jesus, we learn, we learn another thing. It's one more thing that he gave Peter before that night in prison. It's this lesson that the road to life leads through death. So Peter wasn't taken by surprise. He wasn't laying there saying, Jesus, why didn't you tell me this was going to happen? You know, I wasted 15 years of my life following you, and this, this, this is what's going to happen? He, he didn't say that, no. In Mark 13, 9 through 11, he warned them, the world's going to hate you, they're going to kill you, they're going to persecute you. This wasn't a surprise. He knew it was going to happen. He understood the big picture. He knew that his persecution wasn't what life was about, that he had an eternal perspective. He had a kingdom perspective. Now, me and you, we're not, we might not get put in prison, probably not in the, in the U.S. Um, we might not die a martyr's death, but we are to face the opposition openly. We have to not be ashamed in keeping Jesus on our lips and adopting him as our personal identity so that when people look at us as they did Peter on that night that Jesus was being crucified, and they turn to us and say, were you with him? We're going to say, yes. Matter of fact, I was. And we're going to face whatever that means. When people seek our advice or they're in trouble, we're going to offer them our faith. And when we're convicted in our hearts about things we need to change, we'll face that change head on. And when we're consumed by our own problems and the problems of loved ones or the world, rather than try to solve them, we'll hunker down and spend that time with Jesus and work through that discomfort and gain that understanding. We'll know Jesus a little bit better. 
And one final note, maybe the most important thing in, in all of this for all of us to kind of consider is that the proof of this truth, the proof of, that this path is the way to go is the resurrection of Jesus. This, 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 this death and resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact that we all have to contend with. And it's the proof. It's the proof that the path of persecution is, leads to life. Mark 16, 12 says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. Peter had an encounter with the risen Christ. And once he experienced this resurrection, he couldn't forget it. And we have that opportunity today. I promise you he's speaking to each one of us today. He's making that call to each one of us today, right, to encounter that risen Christ. And we get that opportunity to experience him when we answer this call. So whether you're in that crowd taking this in, you're on the outskirts, or you're a disciple right now and you are convinced that you are following Jesus and you are following him right unto death, either way, press in. Either way, continue to press in. That will never not be the, be the call. So let me sum this up. If we're going to grow in our faith and our experience of God, we're going to have to commit to discipleship. We're going to have to get that word sort of put into our heads, adopt it, and own it. Not just be followers. Not just adopt that we're Christians. Christians get a bad name. All over Twitter, all over society, Christians are getting, are getting beat up, right? The abortion thing and everything else. It's all like the church, the church, the church. But in reality... We have to commit to discipleship. That's how we're going to stand out. We're going to have to recognize the grace of the call requires the decisive response of faith, which organizes our lives around Jesus and prioritizes him. And we're going to have to be willing to let go of everything. And we're going to have to work through our discomfort and understand it's a, it, that it represents a need to get closer to him. And most importantly, we're going to have to accept the literal historical fact of Jesus that he suffered, died, and rose again, and we can be witnesses to this in our own lives. We can experience a relationship with the true and living God, and we can say that we know him so well that not only won't we shy away from speaking the truth, but we'll go right towards the fire. Now, I, I'm, I'm no judge as to where anybody else is at in, this, in, this path, in their path. I'm no judge to, to that. I know for myself, though, I'm falling short in my discipleship. And, and, and I've been challenged over the last few weeks to really step up and take on this invitation for this adventure, to follow him. And I know he's offering that to each one of us right now. So wherever you think you are, I want to invite you to ask for more. I want, I want, you, I want to invite you to take the courage to, 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 to step into more. And let's realize that we have a responsibility to respond right now. Would you guys bow your heads? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you speak to us each individually, that you speak to the hearts of each one of us, and you call us all to more. Lord, we just pray for clarity. We pray for wisdom. We pray for you to, to enlighten the experience of our hearts and our spirits, Lord God, to, to a greater understanding. We pray that you, that you move us past what's, what's holding us down, that we let that go, Lord Jesus. Most importantly, we pray that you recognize that this internal experience that holds us back from experiencing more of you is sin. And we call it that. And we repent. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to build us up and to point us in that direction, Lord Jesus, of organizing our lives around you and taking one step at a time forward in following after you. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.